uh, I am excited about preaching today uh, what God has given me uh, for this church family. How many of us have uh, lately noticed some price increases around the supermarket, the grocery store? Uh, I went a while back to buy some meat. I, I thought I was going to buy some meat. Uh, I like to kind of do hobby barbecue in the backyard, and so I bought some meat, uh, or I was planning to buy some meat, and uh, went in looking for a specific cut of meat, and when I got there, it was, man, it was way, way, way too expensive, and so I ended up doing something else. It was a little bit cheaper, but it was still pricey too, a lot pricier than normal. Uh, so you've noticed meat is going higher. Cost of goods, a lot of cost of goods are going higher. Uh, gasoline is at a seven-year high. Seven-year high. That's, that's crazy. California leads the nation with gas nearing $5 a gallon. Aren't you thankful you don't live in California? Thank God for Georgia. We got more affordable gas. In one small town uh, over the weekend, they hit a record, $7.59 for regular unleaded. Is that not insane? Is anyone feeling the pinch a little bit? If it gets to $7.59 around here, I'm going to be riding a bike. That's what's going to happen. Your pastor will be super thin because I'll be riding a bike everywhere. But with all of that, and, and I know that we're feeling that pinch, we're feeling uh, some of the things that are going on in our world. Uh, I know this is cliche to say it, but uh, I say it for myself, and I say it for uh, just as a reminder, it could be worse. It always could be worse. It could be like the city of Samaria in 2 Kings chapter 6 and 7. Ben-Hadad, king of Syria, had come, and with him, an army of the Syrians, a mighty army, uh, much larger than the northern kingdom of Israel. They surrounded the city of Samaria, and so the Samaritans of Samaria found themselves in terrible conditions. Terrible conditions. A famine had gripped the city, so you already had the issues of a, a lack of food and water. I was reading an article about uh, a town that they had no water, uh, and so they actually trucked in water from a neighboring community that had water, and that was part of what they did. At the price of $16,000 a load, they trucked water in. Well, Samaria did not have that option. There was no water. There were a food shortage was going on. If you think 20% increase, which has been kind of the average across all of the meats, uh, that on those beef cuts, those beef cuts I would like to have, that that's high. Imagine walking into your grocery store and what's being offered is a donkey's head for 80 shekels. You went to buy beef and you're leaving with the donkey's head. Or maybe it's dove droppings for five shekels. Now, shekel doesn't mean much to us. We don't think about it in those terms. Uh, but let's put it into some understandable terms for us. Five shekels is around $100, today's money. 
So Dove Droppings was selling for $100 for a quarter of a cab. And a cab is a quarter of a pint. So for $400, you could get a whole pint of Dove Droppings. Scrumptious. The whole donkey head was going to run you around $1,600. That's, that's, that's desperate. That's a tough situation. And, and if, that, if that right there, those two facts do not impress you and do not impress upon you the desperation that these people found themselves in, women were eating their children. They were sharing their children for a meal. Anybody in here with a parent should look over at them and say, thanks, Mom, for not eating me. The king put all of the blame on Elisha and even threatened to kill him. It was so, so desperate. God had done this to them. So the king sent a messenger to find Elisha. And the messenger was one of the king's men. He's an officer. Scripture tells us on whom the king depended. He depended on him. And when the messenger found Elisha sitting in his house surrounded by elders of the city, the Lord had already given Elisha a message for the king. It's found in verse 1 of chapter 7 of 2 Kings. It says, Then Elisha said, Hear the word of the Lord. Thus says the Lord, Tomorrow, about this time, I say, a fine flour shall be sold for a shekel, two seeds of barley for a shekel at the gate of Samaria. Now, we know what a donkey's head was going for. We know what uh, even though dove droppings were going for. Uh, a sea of barley or of flour is the equivalent of eight gallons. So eight gallons of flour for one shekel. Twice as much. Barley for the same price. We're talking about a massive reversal of fortunes. We're talking about a swift change from one day paying uh, $1,600 for a donkey's head to the next day having plenty and enough left over, just pennies on the pound for the barley and for the flour. Situation is about to turn around. You know, that's just how God is. When, when God decides to do something, he can turn it around in one night. Overnight, he can turn what has been staring you in the face that is so horrendous and so terrible, inescapable. God can turn it around in one night. There's always hope as long as God can work. And so I, I don't know what you're facing this morning. I don't know what's been going on in your life. I don't know what kind of things you've been fighting against or been wondering, God, is this going to work out in my favor? But I want to tell someone this morning, there is always hope. If God is available and God can work, there is always hope in your situation. God can turn it around just that fast. Look at someone next to you and tell them, as long as God is there, there's some hope. There's some hope in your situation. There's hope in what you're going through. There's hope in what you're dealing with. There's hope. It doesn't matter what enemy 
has surrounded the city of your life, there's hope. Because God can turn it around. Verse 1, he said, God's going to turn this around. But in verse 2, what's interesting is the officer, it says, so an officer on whose hand the king leaned answered the man of God and said, look, if the Lord would make windows in heaven, could this thing be? In a sense, what he was saying is he was saying, can God do this? Would God really do such a thing? Is it possible that God's going to turn it around so quickly? Is it something that God can do? Even if he made windows in heaven, I mean, what would God have to do to really, really turn this situation around? That's what he was asking. He was asking from a position of unbelief, but unbelief was going to cost him because Elisha responds to him, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. You're going to see what God will do, but you'll have no part in it because of your unbelief. And I want to preach to you this morning under this thought, the thief of disbelief. The thief of disbelief. Because something is stolen from you whenever you can't quite believe that God is going to make it happen. The enemy uses disbelief. He uses doubt. He uses the fear that God could do it, but maybe he won't do it for me. God can make it happen, but maybe not in this situation. He uses that doubt to steal from you what God intends to do. And you'll see it. You'll never taste it. You'll witness it. You'll never eat it. You may stand as a testimony, but you'll never have part in it. The four lepers, God chooses four lepers, if you read the story, to do the miraculous. They are sitting around just waiting to die. Nobody has food. Everybody's enjoying their donkey heads and their dove droppings. and uh, They're just you know sitting on the outside of the city waiting to die. And they decide, well, you know, we're going to sit here and we're going to die or we can walk over to where the enemy is at and they'll go ahead and put us out of our misery instead of starving. They'll kill us or they'll take pity on us and they will feed us. And so they go. But as they go, God magnifies the sound of their coming so that the enemy doesn't hear four lepers. What the enemy hears is the enemy hears a great army. And they believe the, the army of the city has come out to meet them and they've somehow found reinforcements. And so the enemy scatters from where they're at and they run in haste, leaving behind their weapons and their food and their tents and everything that they had with them. What they took with them were the clothes on their back and the sandals on their feet. They ran away from the city of Samaria. Here's the thing about this miracle. And it is a miracle. The miracle was done for everyone. So think about that for just a moment. Everyone was sharing in the poverty of the moment. Everyone was suffering. Everyone was enduring the same trouble. There wasn't one person going to the grocery store to buy a donkey's head that was paying less than somebody else going to the grocery store to buy a donkey's head. They were all suffering and enduring under the same situation. It touched 
everyone. But when God decided to move, God did a miracle that touched everyone. It touched every life in that city, the poorest all the way to the wealthiest, the lepers that went to the camp all the way to the king. Each one could experience what God was doing in that day. They were able to experience the miracle. It was not something that was hidden. It was not something that was covered up. It was not something that was removed. This was not God doing a miracle for just one person and someone could say, yeah, well, he's providing barley over here for these people. We're still hung up on donkeys' heads. That wasn't what was happening. What was happening is God was making the miracle available to every single one of them. But one person missed out. One person didn't get involved. One person didn't see. They saw what God was doing, but they never tasted of it, and they never got to eat of it. Because what happened is whenever the miracle was noised abroad, the man was standing in the gate. That's what 2 Kings 7, 16 through 20 tells us, that whenever it happened, it came to pass. Verse 16, the people went out and plundered the tents of the Syrians. So a, say a fine flour was sold for a shekel. Just like he had said, two says of barley for a shekel according to the word of the Lord. Now the king had appointed that officer, that same officer, whose hand he leaned on to have charge of the gate. But then the people trampled him in the gate and he died. Just as the man of God had said, who spoke when the king, when the king came down to him. Verse 18, so it happened just as the man of God had spoken to the king saying, Two says of barley for a shekel, a say of fine flour for a shekel, shall be sold tomorrow about this time in the gate of Samaria. But look, is the Lord able to do that? Verse 19, he said, in fact, you shall see it with your eyes, but you shall not eat of it. What happened? The thief of disbelief cost this man so much. It cost him his life. But the real story for us is that it cost him the experience of the miraculous. He saw what God was doing, but he had no part of it. He never ate any of it. He didn't even get to enjoy what God was doing. He missed out because of the thief of disbelief. Jesus said in John 10 and 10, The thief does not come except to steal, to kill, and destroy. Now, he wants to kill you. He wants to destroy you. But you know what? He'll be just as satisfied to steal from you the possible miracles that God would do through unbelief, through disbelief, through sowing doubt into your life. That's what he would do. He doesn't have to kill or destroy you. He can just rob you and steal from you and keep you where you are in your relationship with God. The thief of disbelief will keep you from eating and tasting of the good things of God that God is doing right before your eyes simply because you cannot believe it. And sadly, this is going to be a lot of people's story. When Jesus returns, Jesus asks, will, there, will I find faith when I return? There are going to be those who witness the return of Jesus. But because of unbelief, they're never going to take part in it. They're not going to receive anything. Philippians 2, 10 through 11 tells us this, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and of those in earth 
and those under the earth. What's he saying? He's saying those who are alive, those who are gone, those who are buried, every knee shall bow, that every tongue should confess Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Everyone, both alive and dead, will come to know. It's not going to be hidden. It's not going to be concealed. We'll all know that he is Lord and we'll even confess him to be Lord. Yet because of the thief of disbelief, some will see it and never eat of it. That's a terrifying thought. It's no different than when Jesus was walking in Israel. He went to Nazareth and he taught in the synagogue. He was ready to do miracles. It's in Matthew chapter 13. But it says because of their unbelief, he did not do many mighty works and miracles. Because of their unbelief. Now Nazareth was only four miles from the place where Jesus had done his first miracle, Cana. He turned water into wine. It was a wedding. There were people from his area from Nazareth right there in Cana they'd come to celebrate they witnessed the miracle they saw what he had done in Matthew chapter 12 he healed the man with the withered hand on the Sabbath they heard about that he delivered the demon possessed and caused the mute to speak in Matthew chapter 9 they'd heard about that he'd healed the blind he had raised the dead daughter of Jairus he'd raised people from the dead because of unbelief he did not do many mighty works because of their unbelief the thief of disbelief robbed them and even though Jesus said I came he said it in Luke he said I came to fulfill I came to mend the brokenhearted to deliver the captive to set at liberty them that are bound he couldn't do it because of unbelief Thief of disbelief. But if you can believe, but if you can believe just a little bit, Jesus said faith as a mustard seed. Faith like a mustard seed. So if you can just believe just a little bit, just enough. If your story can be like that of a father in Mark chapter 9, instead of being the officer of Samaria, the, the father of Mark chapter 9, he brought his son to Jesus and he presented him to him, said he's possessed and he throws himself in the fire and all kind of things happen to him. Jesus said, how long has this been happening to him? He said, from childhood he often throws himself both into the fire and into the water to destroy him. But if you can do anything, have compassion on us and help us. Jesus said to him, if you can believe, if you can just believe, all things are possible to him who believes. If you believe, all things are possible. The problem is never God's ability it's never in God's ability if you can just believe all things are possible now listen to what the father says in verse 24 immediately the father of the child cried out and said with tears Lord I believe help my unbelief
doubt was still present in the midst of his belief. He said, Lord, I believe wherever there's some doubt in me, help me to overcome that unbelief. Help me to get away from the thief of disbelief. Help me to get away from the thing that would rob me from my miracle, from my answer, from my provision, from you doing what I need you to do in my life. Lord, help me. I believe. Help my unbelief. Right now, God is doing the miraculous. Right now, God is moving in our midst. Right now, God is working in people's lives. Right now, God is doing something. He's up to something right now when it seems like the whole world is coming crazy and unglued and all of the stuff that's going on. God is working in the middle of that. It doesn't matter what chaos has touched your life. God is in the middle of it and he's working right now. But the thief of disbelief is trying to keep you from laying your hands on seeing what God is doing right in front of you deal with people all the time and try and encourage them the baptism of the holy spirit is for every one of us every person who will believe jesus promised it to all that believe in him john 7 37 through 39 he who believes in me verse 38 as the scripture has said out of his heart will flow rivers of living water but this he spoke concerning the spirit whom those believing in him would receive for the holy spirit was not yet given because Jesus was not yet glorified. I try to convince people. I tell them, this promise is for you. Not, not just some random, far-removed God that you believe in, that one day you hope you will see, but a God who is right now touching lives, filling people with his spirit, giving them an experience where they know absolutely that they have a God in their life that is working right now. But the thief of disbelief, wants to keep some from eating it. Watched it happen my entire ministry. I'll be in places people are being filled with the Spirit of God, speaking out of the tongues, and there's somebody who's watching. And they're almost to that point of believing, almost to the point of believing that I could receive that, but the thief comes along and sows doubt into their life. Is that for everyone? Is that really necessary? Is that really part of what God's planning to do in your life? Maybe he'll do it for them, but he won't do it for you. Or maybe you're not good enough. Maybe you don't deserve it. Maybe, maybe, maybe. And the thief of disbelief allows them to see it. It happens right next to them. But unbelief keeps them from having the thing that he has. It's nothing new. When God birthed the church, his church, by pouring out his promise of the Spirit on all the people there, everyone in that city of Jerusalem witnessed it. It was not a hidden thing. It was right out in the street. Verse 6 tells us that when the sound occurred, the multitude came together and were confused because everyone heard them speak in his own language. The multitude witnessed what God was doing. Peter confirmed what they were witnessing. Verse 32, he said, This Jesus God has raised up, which you were all witnesses. You all seen Jesus. You all heard of his miracles. You know what he's done. God has raised him up. Therefore, being exalted to the right hand of God, having received the promise, the Father, from the Father, the promise of the Holy Spirit, he poured out this, which you now see and hear. What you're witnessing, 
Jesus is doing this right now. Well, a lot of us, we'd say, well, that's, that's enough for me. I'm, I'm convinced. And there were some who were convinced. They asked, what do we need to do? And Peter told them, you've got to repent. You've got to be baptized in Jesus' name, and the Lord will fill you with his spirit. You shall receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. That's what he said. We sit on this side of reading that and we think, I believe that. God, God does that. But you know, there were those right there in the moment. They could see it. They could hear it. But they never got to enjoy it. Because why? The thief of disbelief robbed them of the experience that others were having. Like the officer of the king of Samaria. They saw what God was doing, but they never got a chance to eat of it. And even now, Jesus continues to pour out his spirit on people. He continues to do miracle in people's lives. He continues to deliver people. He continues to heal people. He continues to do all of those things. Many people sit back. Disbelief settles in. They shrug it off. They never receive witness they never believe but if you believe the man in mark the father in mark i believe help my unbelief jesus said if you believe verse 38 of chapter 7 in john he said he who believes in me as the scripture has said if you'll believe he'll give it to you he'll do it for you there's miracles he has for you you have to believe. You've got to believe. Lord, help my unbelief. I believe. Help my unbelief. If you'll stand with me. The thief of disbelief would rob you of what God is wanting to do in your life. He would rob you of every opportunity that God is moving. It's that, that voice that comes in and says, you know, looks like God's doing a work up at the altar, but today I'm, I'm just going to stay in my seat. It's the little voice that comes in and says, you know, you're, you're not good enough. You've done too much for God to move in this situation. It's that little voice that comes in and says, you're too messed up for God to do anything. It's that voice that comes in and sows those little doubts that keep you from taking that, that one little minor step like the Father saying, I believe, but help my unbelief. I'm not saying that I always have my belief right. I'm not always saying that my faith is perfect, but God, I believe. He didn't shirk at what, God was at what Jesus was telling him. He didn't shrink back. He listened and he said, you know what? maybe a little doubt trying to get through but I believe I believe and I'm going to take the steps I need to I'm going to take action like I need to I'm going to do what you're asking me to do and I'm going to believe that's what belief is that's what faith is faith whenever the man of God speaks when the word of God speaks whenever the spirit of God speaks it's taking that and it's saying you know what I don't know how God's going to do it. I'm not waiting to see if the windows open in heaven to see if this is going to happen. 
I'm just believing God is going to do it. I'm going to hang on to it. I'm going to say, God, I believe. I believe. And wherever there's unbelief, help me. Help me. Help my unbelief. Help me to believe. I believe there are people here right now that God has been speaking to you. He has been guiding you. He has been talking to you very very dark days the spirit of God is saying hang on to me trust me lean on me and I'm telling someone right now the thief of disbelief would steal from you would cause you to stop trusting God would stop stop you from receiving what God wants to do in your life someone needs to pray that prayer this morning Lord I believe help my unbelief someone needs to receive the gift of the Holy Spirit that he is pouring out on his people it's a promise for everyone Acts chapter 2 39 tells us that the promise to us to all that are far off even as many as the Lord our God shall call that's to everyone that covers every person and he's doing what he did in Acts chapter 2. He's doing it today. And he'll do it until the end of time when he returns. Don't let disbelief rob you of the experience God has for your life. Don't let disbelief rob you. Don't allow the thief in. When you feel that doubt, you say, God, I believe. Help my unbelief you pray with me right now every head bowed and every eye closed God I need you God I need strength of faith Lord to trust you Lord you see every one of us you see where we're at in our relationship with you God you know who who this message is drawing on their heart that they've been struggling with some unbelief Lord that their faith has been wavering God I pray right now in the name of Jesus Christ Lord, that you would move on them. Let your spirit move in this place and touch somebody's life. Touch somebody's faith, God. Lord, help our unbelief. Help our unbelief. Help us to believe for greater things. For greater things. You said those that come after me, they will do greater things than these. Lord, help us to believe for greater things. In the name of Jesus Christ. In the name of Jesus Christ. Amen, amen, amen. Church family, I wonder if we could gather to the front. If you're a guest with us today, we welcome you to come to the front and join us. We're going to pray and allow God an opportunity to speak to us and minister to us. Come and lay your doubts on the altar and pick up faith and say, God, I believe. Whatever you've been telling me, Lord, whatever your spirit is saying, I believe. God, give me spiritual ears to hear what you're saying to me right now to this church today. God, help us, Lord, in our families. Help us today, Lord. We give you glory and honor in Jesus' name. In